I start telling people like thinking strategically with a season of release. And so it's like you go into this mode of releasing a lot of music and you could get a lot of mileage out of 10 songs and not just thinking, I'm just going to put these 10 songs out. No, nothing happened. It's like, no, get strategic with it. And it can be a whole season of stuff happening because you can be picking up fans along the way. And especially if you're a new artist, every, everything you do is new to most people that are hearing your music. So don't, don't give up on those songs when you've got lots of opportunity to get creative with it. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm super excited to be here today with Kevin Bruner. He is the Senior Vice President of Marketing at CD Baby. And if, I mean, you've probably heard of CD Baby before, but if you haven't, they're an online distributor of music, which means they release music on like Spotify, Apple Music, and all those platforms. They are home to over 650,000 artists, 9 million tracks. Artists like Ingrid Michelson, 21 Pilots, Macklemore, Bon Iver, Sarah Borellis have all distributed their music using CD Baby. And also, he's the guitarist of the band Small Town Poets. And today, I'm really excited to kind of dig in and to talk through some ideas for, you know, if you're an artist who, uh, for whatever reason, isn't able to perform live shows, whether that means like, you know, you just can't travel very often or <clears throat> there's like a global pandemic or something that's kind of keeping you at home. <laughs> How do you how do you thrive and how do you actually build an audience and to, to be able to release music successfully nowadays? So, Kevin, thank, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Thanks for having me, Michael. Awesome. So to start out with, I'd love to hear just um, a little bit more about your story and how you got started with Small Town Poets and also uh, finding yourself as the senior vice president of marketing at uh, one of the biggest <laughs> online distributors in the world. Well, with Small Town Poets, I went to Nashville to study music and music business. I went to a school called Belmont University and I'm originally from San Diego. So it was a, a big journey to go to college off on my own. And, but I really wanted to pursue music and, and music business and play guitar. And, and, uh, you know, that alone was a, a life-changing experience an eye-opening experience, I should say, just with the level of talent in out there in the world and, and just amazing players and, and all that. But after my fourth year, I, or during my fourth year, I met the guys in Small Town Poets. They were a different band at the time, and they had been on a little indie label, and this was the mid-90s. And so they were kind of reforming, starting new, trying to make a more serious go of it. They had been, you know, touring pretty much nonstop since they all got out of high school. They went to junior college a couple of years, but then we're just like booking tours and, and playing like 100 shows a year, a lot wow. for an unsigned band. And so they were reforming and I started playing with them. And by that, the end of that summer, we were signed. My, my first rehearsal with them, they were sending three song demo tapes to record labels. Cause that's what you did back then. <laughs> this, you know, it's like, yeah, that's the only way you get a record done is with a label back then. So to make a, a, a very long story short, we, we had success. We were nominated for a Grammy. We sold pretty well. 
and you know had a lot of markers of what looked like success but the band was pretty broke everyone was making money except us in that situation on a label you're the last one to get paid your manager gets a cut the label takes the money and and i'm sure there's plenty of tricks still bit, built into the recording contracts these days but back then it was like all these things how the label could take extra money like the language that was based on back in the vinyl days because when they shipped vinyl a lot would melt in the sun or break but in cds cd world that never happened <laughs> but they still took 25 percent reserve because of breakage and things like that where you realize you're never going to get paid <laughs> and so you know after a few years i was like three and a half years of just non-stop touring and and we put out a couple records like i said they performed well all of us started sort of coming off the road and going our separate ways for a bit and for me i i I was from the West Coast. I wanted to get back to the West Coast and landed in the Portland area. It was just one of those things where I'm like, there's got to be a better way. This was 2000. Like, there's got to be a better way for artists to get music to their fans. We were in this situation where we had music and there was music that even didn't even get released by the label that were like, there's these people in the, you know, this office deciding what our fans can hear or should hear. I'm like, just that should be for the, just put it out. The fans should decide what they like and what they don't like and and this shouldn't be so hard and so uh, a few years later you know I went through this big like writing and recording phase of just like all this creativity came out and I started a new band in the northwest and that's when I came across CD Baby is 2003 it's like oh at that time CD Baby was the only place I could find on the web that had information about independent artists getting their music out selling it directly to your fans and you know, the web was still relatively new as far as how we think about it today, as far as organization of information. And CD Baby was just a resource that had all that for independent artists. And so I started using CD Baby and then eventually got a job there. And my initial job was just helping artists every day distribute their music and help them understand the process. You know, distributing to iTunes was brand new back then. People didn't, didn't understand digital music at all and that whole thing so a lot of what we were doing was just helping artists understand what they could do and also these new social platforms were emerging and ways that artists were getting very creative in uh, building fans without especially without touring because that was a new concept of I don't have to tour I could use this new thing called YouTube where I can I'm doing this thing with social media and it's building an audience and it's working so uh, having those conversations with artists nonstop all day long I just, you know, I started asking them a lot of questions and then eventually started the DIY Musician podcast out of that experience. And also I was a podcast junkie that I just wanted to have these conversations with artists and about music promotion and the changing landscape in a format where other people could hear and learn from it as well. So, and then just over the years, I just worked my way up at CD Baby and now I'm the SVP of marketing. <laughs> awesome, dude. That's, that's really cool. And I, I love how... It sounds like really a lot of your your growth is like very organic and having all these conversations with with artists and both as an artist yourself and also seeing like what are the common challenges. Yeah, I think that gives you a lot of real, uh, like I call it like being in tune. You know, it's like going up on stage yeah. and kind of like tuning the guitar so you, so you can really you can stay connected. So that being said, having all this experience working with, working with artists and you yourself as, as an artist, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that you see musicians struggling with on a daily basis when, when they first come to you? Some of the biggest challenges, I think, well, 
as a whole, I, I think one thing you, you kind of mentioned being in tune with the the artist. I think that's one thing that was very eye opening to me. Even working at CD Baby, you know, I was in a music school with people that wanted to be in the music business. I was in the traditional music business, but there's a lot of misconceptions about who artists really are and what you know labels or that world. I say the traditional world thinks about the artist community and. When you're talking to hundreds of artists every day, there's a lot of themes that emerge that you're like, oh, we're not what the artist community as a whole, we're not what a lot of people think we are. And so one of those things is, I think a lot of people think that the average artist is very tech savvy, especially these days. Music gets used in a lot of cool things like the cutting edge films and with technology, but that doesn't mean the artists who made it are on the cutting edge of technology. And certainly there's some genres now that lead more into technology and, and it's become a very critical piece in making music, but it still doesn't mean they know about file sizes and all these things that need to be uploaded and, and the digital process for music. So it's, it's really funny to see that, that a lot of, you know, a lot of artists, they don't, one of the big, big mistakes or, or problems they face is they don't, there's a sort of clash or when it changes over from the creative process into Hey, now I got to sort of put a business hat on and distribute my music. I think there's this general lack of understanding still about the main business pieces that go along with music distribution and promoting your music and having a music career. It's come a long way, but you know, the average artist still doesn't understand uh, the difference between publishing and owning the, re the recording, the sound recording and what different rights those are. And some of those things, if you're in the industry, seem a little basic but for a lot of artists when they go to distribute their music this is their first time ever encountering these things and so there's that's still a, a big struggle and, and and properly planning a release and understanding the opportunities that ex exist when you release music as opposed to just like throwing it up there today and and hoping something happens so those are some of the challenges we spend a lot of our time at cd baby helping artists through like understanding that hey it's not just about getting those master files from the mixing engine or the mastering engineer if they if they knew about mastering sometimes that's a new step too but it's about having artwork that fits proper guidelines it's having the right file types it's understanding who contributed to the record and keeping track of that as you record and uh, that all becomes metadata which goes along with the tracks that helps people get paid properly and it's super important to make sure that that's all done right when you had distribute initially otherwise you can miss revenue or there's cleanup work later if success does happen and so a lot of that stuff is just foreign to most artists when they start in this process awesome yeah so it sounds like what you're saying is that like a common theme is with artists they might not necessarily have the the business skills or at least like having having learned some of those those facets in terms of technology in terms of like how to promote themselves and i think it is kind of interesting like how the revolution that's sort of happening with like in you know with indie DIY you know indie indie musicians how there really is sort of this this empowerment I feel like that happens or that's happening with musicians where the tools are there where they can kind of take more control or have more guidance or, or they can lead themselves in terms of connecting with their fans compared to like relying on a record label in order to promote themselves. Mm -hmm. 
and it does seem like there's kind of that that lingering narrative from like the old model where it's kind of like mm-hmm. oh like you guys don't need to learn this business stuff like you're creators like you're artists and you know you don't want <laughs> like well, well we'll take care of all the money stuff you know and it does seem like historically that's led to musicians sort of getting the, the short end of the stick so i think it's awesome that yeah. you guys are really focusing on empowering artists to be able to learn those those tools yeah i actually pulled out our record contract a couple of years ago before I was speaking at our conference, the CD Baby DIY Musician Conference. And uh, it was frightening <laughs> with the stuff that was in there mm-hmm. and uh, the stuff that artists, you know, willingly signed. And it's not like we didn't have a lawyer, but it's not like we had uh, tens of thousands of dollars to, to pay him to finagle this contract indefinitely or that we had any leverage for the record company to accept it. And so there's a lot of things in there that, that just aren't right. No one would enter into that kind of business. <laughs> but artists just so desperately want to have somebody get their music out there to a broader audience. So, you know, there are there are trade-offs. And, and now when an artist comes to me and says, hey, I've got this opportunity, the main thing I focus on are there's trade-offs. Do you want to own your rights? And, and you know, there are some contracts these days where depending on what it is, what kind of label it is, where you may get your rights back after a few years, or you may retain your rights and it's more of like a, a rev share agreement or something. So there's, there's options out there, but it's understanding what you're getting into because there's trade-offs. Maybe they do have an amazing marketing department and they are going to spend a lot of money and they are going to you know, get you on some big stages with some of their higher performing artists that could do uh, some really great things for you. And there's just going to be trade-offs for that. They're not going to do that for free. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. They may love your music, but it's a business. And so ideally, you got to think about not that state of playing on those big stages, but what happens after (laughs) when that wave comes and goes. Are you left with nothing? Are you able to capitalize on that to your own advantage and use it as a springboard? Or if the label loses interest and it all goes away. Are you back to where you started? But only this time you don't own the music that you just created. So I think with artists, you just have to think about the trade-offs and what you're trying to accomplish and what success looks like for you. And when you're having success, how you're capturing that fan data, how you're turning it into long-term relationships. Because a music career always has an ebb and a flow. It has its ups and downs. Some of it's by nature that you know music runs its course. You need to go write and record some new stuff. And so there's some downtime or it's just by nature of, you know, something's coming in out of style. And so you got to be prepared for the, the good times and the, the, the lean times, because that's typically how a music career works. That's so good. So for anyone who's listening to this right now, who, who maybe is early, earlier on, so like they've invested the time and the energy and the money into like getting maybe their first EP. Maybe they have like five songs or they have a single or maybe even an album. And now they're looking for the best way to, you know, get it out to, to people and to find people who are actually going to enjoy listening to it and to grow their audience and kind of to build a list. What are some ideas that they could they could get started with in order to promote themselves successfully? Well, if you have uh, if you're a new artist and you have a full album that's ready to go, I think this is where instead of just throwing it out there, this is where you can get a little bit more strategic. It's not even much extra work and have a much better launch of yourself as an artist and just your, your initial album. 
what I've started telling artists is they need to look at their music as not uh, a re one release day, like my, my debut album is coming out on this day or even your follow-up album or whatever, but looking at it more in a season of release. I know artists, we've been trained, especially pre-pandemic, uh, a lot of artists are trained that, okay, I make an album, I have an album release show, and then what? I actually played for a friend of mine whose album came out. I played for his album release show, and he's like, now what? Afterwards, I'm like, now what? This is just the beginning. You just, this is the start, not the finish. And, and for a lot of artists, I think that feels like the finish because uh, the creation process is such a giant undertaking that it, there's not a lot left in the tank sometimes when we go to switch into promoting promotion mode. But what I've started telling artists is think about a season of release and having several releases planned to drop over a period of time that all kind of build up um, and reinforce a bigger release, like in this case, an album. So what I would do is I would, one, if I've never released music before, I would absolutely take just one song and put that out there because especially if you have a, a common, like if you're using your personal name as your artist name and you have a common name, there's going to be some cleanup most likely on uh, snagging your Spotify for artist accounts and, and some of the other like apps. Apple Music for Artists and Amazon for Artists, there might be some cleanup to make sure that you're, you have access to the tools and it's aligned with the right account for your music. So we always encourage people to get one single out to do that cleanup work. And you can promote that single and, and, and so forth, but you want to get access to those tools and you won't have access to them until after you have music out there. So like if you launched a single, did that, then uh, a month later, have another single from that album come out. Now you're going to have access to tools like the, the Spotify pitching tool that, yes, it allows you to pitch to editorial, which is a super long shot, but it does, if you use it properly, it'll push all your, 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 your new track to anyone following you on, who follows you on Spotify, they'll get it in their release radar, it'll help pop up and discover weekly. So it really just starts that um, discovery phase that the, the platforms really have built into them, especially Spotify and some of the other platforms are following in those footsteps but you want to take advantage of those tools because they're doing a lot of work for you and you don't want to just skip that because hey, if they're going to push it to your fans why not and then i'd follow up with like another a month later have the full album come out and then again you can pick another song off of that to pitch in that spotify for artists pitching tool so like having a couple singles set up the album and then after the album comes out this is where I think there's a shift in thinking in a digital space, in a streaming world that back when we were mainly talking downloads and CDs that artists didn't really think this way. But in a streaming world, it's really easy to get creative and do alternate versions of those same tracks. So the idea being, how can I keep pushing music out and keep getting these songs in front of people, maybe in different ways or more ways that might be accessible to different audiences, whether it's, hey, we did an acoustic EP with all the acoustic versions of some of the songs, or we had someone remix it, or we have live versions or live in the studio, or since, you know, if you're not able to get on a live stage at the moment, just the idea that we, we don't have to stop there just because those songs are out and they're out in one particular form doesn't mean that we can't get creative and release those songs in different forms. So that, that whole album and those songs get a longer life and and can find different audiences especially with playlisting because 
you know, if you've got a really catchy song, but it's a rock song, do an acoustic version of that. You'll find acoustic playlists that might add that song. They're never going to add the rock version, even if they love it, because it's an acoustic playlist. And some of those acoustic and mellow playlists are massive. And it could be a way into audiences that might like your music because they hear the song. They're like, I like this song. So it's just trying to get a little more strategic with thinking about your music can find different audiences in a streaming world much easier than in the, the, the previous digital download era and before where, you know, you were just trying to get people to buy it, where now you can look for how could this reach a different, into a different audience that I know has a big following. Mm. So th that's yeah. kind of how I, I, I start telling people like thinking strategically with a season of release. And so it's like you go into this mode of releasing a lot of music and you could get a lot of mileage out of 10 songs and not just thinking, I'm just going to put these 10 songs out. No, nothing happened. It's like, no, get strategic with it. And it can be a whole season of stuff happening because you can be picking up fans along the way. And especially if you're a new artist, every, everything you do is new to most people that are hearing your music. So don't, don't give up on those songs when you've got lots of opportunity to get creative with it. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's so good. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is that you know, one, one mistake would be just to like put, put all the songs out at the same time. And instead, if, you're, if you think a little bit more strategically and you kind of break it up, it's kind of like breadcrumbs leading to a, a bigger meal. And so if you have like, if you have a few different singles that you can release like once, like, and I really like that the advice to like initially just get a song out, get a single out as soon as possible so that you can claim your artist profile and you can kind of, you can get the ball rolling there. And then one, one analogy that, that I use all the time when it comes to like, building building an audience or releasing music is that it's kind of like starting starting a fire and it's like you start with like that one song that one log and then you kind of keep adding logs to the fire pit but like if all you do is add logs to the fire pit then that's not necessarily anything's going to happen right like you know you need yeah. a way to like generate traffic or generate flames so i'm curious about us uh, from your experience what are some of the best ways for a new artist to like as they implement the strategy of like releasing a song every every month or so leading up to like a full a full album they have the season the season of this release what are some ways for them to basically connect to bring in new people who would be interested in, in the songs and to grow the grow the audience that way huh, yeah that's that's the challenge i mean the hard thing you know it since we're, it's a little harder speaking in general terms, if I'm work, if I was working with a specific artist, and I know you work with artists as well, they're gonna have you know things that are unique about them. They're gonna have genre considerations and things that work in various genres that that don't work in others. But you know, for artists that are starting out, I think there's so much you can do with all of our phones are pretty much like video production computers. It's amazing what you can do if you, especially like the, the, the lenses on these new iPhones are amazing. And video is very powerful. And I, I mentioned that just because there's so much you can do with just creating video, whether it's turning on a camera and performing live on like Facebook live. I know some, depending on the kind of music you do, that could be very challenging for some artists. That's become a very easy way to start building an audience. I've heard that, you know, that several artists tell me recently that, that they've been using Instagram reels and over just regular Instagram and 
clearly Instagram is pushing that content. And they, they went from, I think they just had like a couple thousand followers to over 20,000 in like a month just from using Instagram reels. So there's a lot of these platforms that, that are helping push certain types of content out that I think artists need to look at, okay, you know, how can I just get my music in front of people? And, you know, those do require you to be good in front of a camera, what I just, those couple I just mentioned, but there's lots of things that you can do. I think what you got to first start out with is understanding your story, your, your kind of image as an artist, your persona, and, and start building that online, reaching out to people that have that similar interest, locating the artist in your area that, that would be a great artist to play or tour with to under you know just understand what's going on in your community obviously we're not touring right now but i say that meaning like get connected to the people and creating a community that you're involved with as well because then it's less of being a lone lone ranger out there but then you can start thinking like collaborating with other artists that have similar audiences and say hey how can we build something together what can we do together so i think that's a a thing that most artists don't tend to think about I know it's really easy, especially if you're thinking about a local scene, you kind of look at other artists as competition because there's only so many clubs. And after this pandemic, there may not be, <laughs> there may be hardly any clubs. So high level of competition just to get a gig. And so we tend to start looking at our other fellow musicians as competition, as opposed to people we can collaborate with. And I think that's usually a good spot to start. Like if when, when artists were touring and trying to break into a local scene, I'd say, hey, Find those artists and go ask if you can help them load in and load out or what you can do to help while their show's going, like sell their merch or, or take photos or man a video camera. So you just like show up as someone who wants to help them be a part of what they're doing. And then, you know, you build that relationship, take them out to coffee or whatever and say, hey, just tell me, how'd you guys get established here? And really building those relationships, because oftentimes that's where a lot of the, the real big traction happens is through other relationships and not just random social media success, which can happen. But I think that's one of those things that just finding those, those people that uh, are going to be your, your go-to friends that when they start thinking about, oh, oh I need another artist to be involved with this. Oh, I'm going to go call them because uh, we've built this great relationship. I love their music. We have similar audiences. And there's a lot of online collaboration tools that are popping up these days that allow for that that kind of stuff to happen more fluidly. Oh, what's up, guys? So quick intermission from the podcast so I can tell you about an awesome free gift that I have for you. I wanted to share something that's not normally available to the public. They normally reserve for our $5,000 clients that we work with personally. This is a presentation called Six Steps to Explode Your Fan Base and Make a Profit with Your Music Online. And specifically, we're going to walk through how to build a paid traffic and automated funnel gonna allow you to grow your fan base online and the system's designed to get you to your first $5,000 a month with your music. We've invested over $130,000 in the past year to test out different traffic sources and different offers and really see what's working best right now for musicians. And so I think it's gonna be hugely valuable for you. And so if that's something you're interested in, in the description, there should be a little link that you can click on to go get that. And uh, the other thing I want to mention is, you know, if you want to do us a, a huge favor, one thing that really makes a big difference early on when you're creating a new podcast is if people click subscribe, then it basically lets the algorithm know that this is something that's new and noteworthy and that uh, people actually want to hear. 
And so that'll help us reach a lot more people. So if you're getting value from this and you get value from the free trainings, then if you want to do us a favor, I'd really appreciate you clicking the subscribe button. All right, let's get back to the podcast. 100%. Yeah, I think the in the analogy that I talked about, like starting the fire, I look at that as sort of like finding a fire that's already going and like putting your logs next to the fire. And that's you know, one of the best ways to, to be able to grow a fire. But a lot of times, you know, there you can't just be focused on me, 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 me. Like, what can I get out of this? But mm-hmm. taking the approach that you had of, you know, figuring out how can I provide value? How can I be of service and build those connections? And just in general, like what you said that really stuck out that I think is so on point is just making a point to have as many uh, conversations to build as many relationships as possible, both with like mm-hmm. other artists that have audiences that that like what like your music too, and also just with like people who might like your music too. Like just have conversations with them wherever you can, whether it's social media. Like I remember on MySpace when MySpace first came out, like <laughs> my yeah. band's on there, like you know, messaging, being the annoying band, like messages everyone, yeah. like and it has conversations and ultimately it's like, hey, like you know, like check us out on. on but that's, you know, that's, that's important, especially early on. Like yeah. you need to have those conversations you need to get into and you need to like, you know, kind of hustle early on to like, to build, to build the the community. So I, I think that that's a really good point that, that you brought up in terms of like, when you're just starting out, having those conversations, putting yourself out there, being willing to, you know, being willing to build relationships with, with people and not necessarily seeing similar artists as competitors so much as like being in the same boat. Yeah. I, I think what, one one thing that I think social media has done that to the detriment of the artist community is I think it's uh, hidden the fact somewhat that the music business is still very much a relationship business. And being a part of a community is definitely helpful because, you know, I was in a different band here in, in Portland for a while playing the, the Portland scene. And at that time in the Portland, it, it was like when the Portland music scene was exploding. And if you didn't have at least two people with beards in the band and someone playing banjo, you weren't getting a gig. <laughs> My band was not that. My band was like a, a Coldplay meets Radiohead type of band. And so it was, it was a struggle in, in Portland. However what we looked at was okay there's all these opportunities we'd we'd see that these rock bands coming through town like where they're playing at you know like the 500 person club that a band that maybe was known nationally or maybe getting off the ground nationally but still didn't have like a big tour package and we'd see these empty slots on the the calendar at these venues and we'd reach out and say it looks like you need an opener and like, it ended up being a thing where we got a lot of gigs because there weren't many rock bands in town at that time. It was, it was really weird. And so it's just like reaching out and understanding what's going on in the community, what the community needs. Like, it wasn't like, we want to play this show. It's like, hey, it looks like you need another rock band. We'd love to fill that slot and help you out and get that, the show settled so you're not still looking for a band. And, and so we kind of became known as the, one, the band that could be slotted in. <laughs> when rock bands came through because everybody in town had you know banjos and beards and it was just a weird thing going on here but so I mean I think it's looking for opportunities and and you know seeing the needs in the community as well and how you can fit in and sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't 
but it's still much, very much about relationships. So you want people thinking about you, or if they come to an artist and say, hey, can you play this show? No, but my friend's band would be perfect for it. And that's why that community aspect is so, so valuable. And uh, yeah, I know a lot of those examples were around shows, which aren't happening for most people right now, but someday it, it will. <laughs> right. And I think like a lot of them, a lot of them really pertain to like the online, the online world too. Like it really is just even like social media too at its finest is about communities and building relationships. And there is sort of a, a danger, I think, of it actually making us more disconnected or, you know, it can make, it can be challenging if we lose the roots, if we lose the roots of like, what is it really all about? It's really all about building relationships and, and having a community and expressing yourself and being who you are and, and resonating with the right people certainly a superpower in and of itself to like, like what you're describing. And this is something, a common characteristic I see across everyone that I meet that like has built, has built a successful career, has accomplished worthwhile things is that they always have this mindset of like figuring out like, what are the needs that I can fill or how can I provide value? How can I provide service? And like, first and foremost, like they, they have that, that mindset shift. And I think it's, there's something really powerful about that mindset shift where you're focusing on like on providing value or, or helping or being of service compared to like being like just thinking about me, 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 which counterintuitively is like a lot worse, worse for you. So it's interesting just to see that come up again. Like I, like I see that happen like over yeah. and over again. It's always that, that, that mindset shift. Yeah, um, I saw that happen with an artist specifically with within the pandemic where his name, well, it was, Henry and the Invisibles, but he changed, he dropped the Invisibles. I, I forget what he goes by now, but he's a one-man band. And he was doing these live streams before the pandemic. And, you know, it's just him with a lot of electronic, like he had it all dialed in. He had a whole thing. It wasn't an acoustic guitar thing at all. He's kind of a funk pop kind of guy, plays bass and has a lot of drum loops and things happening and, and plays some synth stuff and, and he sings. But when the pandemic hits, and initially, when everyone's like, let's have these Zoom parties, now no, everyone's like, don't make me go on Zoom to do anything I don't have to. Uh, but all these companies were doing these Zoom parties. And so he started reaching out being, hey, I can provide a service to you to play for your Zoom party. And it'll add some excitement and energy. And he started getting these high paying corporate gigs to do these things. And it happened really quickly. It wasn't like, you know, he had months and months and months of, of planning and strategically messaging all these companies and trying to convince them of this idea. He basically did it for a company and then, you know, just posted online, he would do it. And, you know, the, the main point being, he approached it as a service. These companies have a need. They're trying to make things feel social and fun at, at the, you know, this early stages of the pandemic. And it's a big shift for everybody. And he made decent lot of, amount of money and it really brought in a lot of fans as well so it was just interesting because his approach was being a service to other people not hey you know it wasn't about him it was about filling a need for for, for the, these businesses that were trying to figure out what to do to how do you make a social event over zoom fun that's awesome yeah it's really like entrepreneurship at its finest and what a, like what a great idea too like like a, a virtual like a zoom performance for for like a high-end event we there's a, an artist i'm working with named todd herzog who the exact same thing like he's he's booked several shows for over a thousand dollars where he does like a virtual performance and so i think that yeah it's definitely a good good opportunity for for musicians to you know if you have any contacts or, or you're able to to do something like that it could be could be cool 
I think a lot of artists tend to be music business minded. Like I must reach out to people that are always looking for music or have some touch, some aspect of the music business. Like I know some of the venues in the Portland area here, we're trying to do some virtual things just to keep the venue, for, like having artists plan their stages and whatever. And I think a lot of artists think about those opportunities, but they don't think about the just the random corporate business down the street that has piles of cash for budget <laughs> and would never think of this. And you could present them with the idea and typically get a much bigger payday than you would. And you know, it's not gonna be a it's not gonna be the 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 rock star show at the sold out club, but it's a way to make money and build some fans along the way and fill a need as well. <clears throat> Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So what are some other, like, yeah, I'm sure that having connected with so many artists, you probably see a lot of the same themes, or a lot of the same challenges. What are some of the biggest, like, misconceptions or the biggest mistakes that you, that you see a lot of artists making? Well, we talked a little bit about the release process. I, I think that's, that's definitely one of the top mistakes is that they, they have gone through a big, you know, creation process. My bands in it right now that our, our album is way delayed it feels like it's never going to end and by the time you get it done you're just like just put it out just put it out and the pandemic did did impact some of our our planning and and i had had this whole like momentum built of all these releases happening in the fall that i was hoping our album would be out in february it's not and here we are but i think it's that 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 fatigue sets in and then you just like just put it out there or they show up going i need to get it out today or you know today's friday um which is typical release day but they'll show up on wednesday saying i need this out by friday i'm like we can do that but why would you want to why would you want to re- waste this opportunity because fans or just consumers in general are conditioned to anticipate things that are upcoming releases like oh this releases in two weeks and so it kind of builds anticipation there's opportunities to drive engagement and excitement around that and we see that with everything movies we even see it with products these days with like apple products and things people start lining up and get excited and but once it's out that excitement kind of goes away so there's just this conditioning we are about that we've had about anticipating something that's coming in the future and that there's a lot of opportunity with creative marketing campaigns and just getting people on board. So when the music actually comes out, there is a bigger splash that happens on release day. And there's tools that help with that, like doing Spotify pre-saves and things. We have a a marketing platform called show.co, which is free for CD baby users. There's a link in your CD baby dashboard that lets you access those tools for free that has things like Spotify pre-save. So on release day, all that fan activity that you've been, you know, getting awareness, getting people excited. It hits all in one day. And it, you know, that activity on release day happening all at once tells those Spotify algorithms that, Hey, this is a release people are interested in. And let me push it to the release radar. But two, I'm going to start pushing it to the discover weekly to these folks and people that have similar music preferences to these, these artists or these fans. So missing out on that is just a big mistake. Plus the press and everything else, if you're looking for local press or bigger press, they're all conditioned to that the story happens before the release, unless there's success or something interesting happening after the music comes out. But trying to get a feature, it's much easier if it's like around a release. 
But beyond that and, and beyond release, I think what we, this one surprising mistake I see artists still making, especially artists that their biggest problem is obscurity. They act as if they have these highly valuable assets and go into protection mode. Like, no, I don't want it on that platform. No, I don't want it on YouTube. I don't want it over here. I don't want people to be able to add it on, on Instagram. I'm not getting paid what I think I should for that. I'm like, your problem is not money. You would like money. <laughs> yes. Your problem is you need to get people to care. And all these tools and platforms that have new ways of adding music and, and monetizing music, yes, it's different than what we experienced in the download era and definitely different than what we experienced experienced in the CD era, but you want people to have the ability to do the, the promotion work on your behalf. So if there's a song they're liking and they want to add it to uh, a little Instagram stories, that only helps you. And the, the promotion opportunity is far more valuable than the revenue that you might make. So it's still to me surprising how many artists see these these new methods that music gets promoted, pushed, or like, especially like something like YouTube, there's artists that get really angry when fans add their music to a video. I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's kind of a head scratcher to me. I'm like, is that what you're wanting? I mean, this is creating uh, demand for your music because it's, it's social proof. It's, it's validation. It's going out there and letting other people know, Hey, I, like this artist. And that's something, you know, when I started in the music business, when it was a solely buying a CD world, people would buy their CDs. And yes, you'd know what music your friends were listening to. But a lot of the listening just happened in cars or, pri or in private. And it wasn't something that got pushed out so other people could easily discover it. And so to me, artists who still have this protectionist mindset, it's like all these tools are intended to help you out in the state, the stage that you're in, and you should embrace them. Mm, that's so good. So, so it sounds like you know two of the biggest mistakes that you see are one related to just like the release process and releasing mm -hmm. things too quickly because you're exhausted with you know like you've so much effort putting into it. it's like ah just get it out, and then also yeah. and then also just so this like protectionist like mindset and like not wanting people to like share it and not feeling like oh I don't want to be on these platforms because I'm not getting paid properly for it instead of really viewing the music as more of a promotional tool and you know looking for ways to increase discoverability so that you can build an audience and connect with people. Yeah, there, there was uh, one last little <laughs> anecdote on the, that popped into my head when, when you're doing that recap is that I saw a news article the other day. There's this, I forget who it was, it was like a musician union or something that's been trying to rally artists to boycott Spotify. And, I, you know, yes, I want artists to get paid as much as they possibly can, but there is so much music out there you will not be missed. So removing your music from these platforms, it's not like, oh, I'm sticking it to the man. I'm, they're not going to get my music. They don't care. <laughs> your fans are the ones that are going to miss out because if they're on Spotify, they're not uh, engaged with or thinking about the compensation that artists receive for how the music gets used. They just know that, hey, if I want to listen to music, this is one of the places I can go. I can pay $9.99 a month and access it. Or I can use this other service over here and I'm going to listen to whatever's on those services. And so I think a lot of artists think that, that, you know, that their fans will just follow them wherever, or, you know, especially if you're not that established of an artist, you, you got to go where the, the fans are listening to music. And, and that's just the fact of the matter. 
Yeah, 100%. I think it's, you know, for better or for worse, streaming platforms are the place where people listen to music right now. It's like, you're not having your music there. You're, you know, doing a disservice to your fans where it can be really difficult to discover. And, you know, if you're smart and you don't necessarily view the streaming revenue as like the end all be all and like you have other like ways to monetize your audience, then, you know, it's, you can lean into it more as like a promotional, a promotional platform. One thing that I wanted to to reiterate or come back on that you mentioned that I thought was was really really smart was and important is in terms of the release process and like the, the the difference between building anticipation versus just like releasing something right away. I think I heard about like a study where they're looking at people people's brains and like dopamine release, and the takeaway was that the dopamine that we get that that's released i think they were studying like addictive behaviors they're they're studying like what motivates what drives behavior what drives us to do things as humans and what they found was that the dopamine's released for us and when we're like right before we actually get the thing that we want so like if you're going to eat like a piece of chocolate that the feel-good hormones, they actually come in, they kick into place like mm-hmm. as you're getting ready to eat it, like as you're anticipating you're about to have it, then it starts, then it like, it like triggers something. And I, I know certainly for myself, like when it comes to release dates and things like, you know, I'm a, I'm a video game nerd. So like there's like certain games that can, like Final mm-hmm. Fantasy Seven Remake came out and man, I was like, you know, leading up to that release, like two weeks beforehand, like every day I'd be checking in. I'm like, ah, like, yo, like what's their new videos or new like articles or like, there's mm-hmm. like, like all this anticipation just like, you know, there is something like of a open loop or almost like dissonance or just this, like this, this feeling of anticipation, you know, for this thing coming out. And I think you're 100% right that you know, that you're kind of, you can kind of be missing out on that. It's like a slingshot and you know, having having that anticipation built in is, is really smart as long as you have an audience of people who you're building anticipation for. I also think that like you could overdo it if you're starting out and you have like zero oh, yeah. audience. <laughs> it's like you're trying to build anticipation, but it's like who who cares? Like no one knows about it right now. Yeah. Well, in that case, if you have zero audience, I think that that anticipation phase is really about trying to get some things in place to get some followers on on Spotify, you know start that that groundswell even if it's just a handful of people because so much of these platforms are algorithmically based mm-hmm. meaning that if you have a artist profile and literally no one's following you sure probably a couple of people have played some tracks but no one's following you spotify has less data to understand who likes this they, they just it's kind of just an unknown thing but if you're just thinking about hey it'd be better if i spent two weeks getting you know, if whoever to follow my artist profile let them know that new music's coming and that it helps me out especially if you know you're really starting out it's that's when you're leaning into some of your personal relationships to help get things rolling and like hey we follow me here would you post this on social media let them know that your friends release a new album i'm just trying to get some just some momentum i won't hassle you again next time around just trying to get some momentum for this platform and then, you know, each time it, it grows and grows and grows, but there's still work that can be done. And when that, you know, that it's something that's coming up, it's like the, you know, especially if you have fans, it's like, you want, you want to build the hunger to build up before you give them the nice meal. And that's what you're doing. You're, 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 you're wetting their appetites and getting them hungry for that new release. Now you don't want them to drag it out too long where they just, like, never mind, I'm starving. I'm going to go eat somewhere else. 
Because <laughs> I have seen seen some artists like launch, you know, a like the the lead up to the release like three months in advance. I'm like, talk to me in two and a half months. I don't care right now. I can't sit here for three months getting excited about your release every every couple of days with an email or some new thing. You know, it's a little little a uh, little too much in my opinion. But you know, one hundred percent. Yeah, that, that's one thing that we talk a lot about is like the idea of building, uh, building a street team or like having this this community, like the same way that back in the day used to have this street team who would go promote you in lines for shows and like hand out posters and stuff. Mm-hmm. And usually they're doing it just because they want to support you and help help you know get your music out there and they enjoy the community aspect of it and being able to connect with you. But, you know, being able to build that community and have a private Facebook group or have like an email list where you start building that and you start, you know, kind of creating some, some traction with them and you you have like, like tasks or you have like kind of, you gamify the experience for them so that you can really capitalize on, on a release rather than just like you're saying, like starting out and just kind of dropping it, building up anticipation for no one, but really kind of start by, (laughs) by getting, getting that, that straight team together. Yeah, I think one one thing that you know I, I would say mistakes artists make. This is probably a big one as well, and it lands in a lot of areas. Is not having any sort of defined goals and objectives. You know, I think everyone tends to think, "Oh, my goal is to be famous." I'm like, "That's that's nice. That's we, we all <laughs> we all we all have that goal. That's great. So set that one aside. Let's get some real actionable goals." Some that are maybe like in a year from now, I want to be at this point or on release day, I want to see this many Spotify followers on my account or have had these many pre-saves or really just tangible things that are, that can be a stretch, but also just help you focus what you're doing. What are the things that are important that need to get done? What would help you get to the next level if these things happen? Name them, write them down and go after them and ignore the other things because I think most artists, especially in the social media landscape, they just start doing a bunch of scattershot stuff all over all these platforms that half of them they don't even like using or don't even want to use. And that doesn't do anything. Um, it may make you feel busy. It may make you feel like good that you're doing something, but it's really not. So I think like naming some specific goals of things that will help you get to the the place you want to be and you know i think like a year out goal i want us to be here so how am i going to do that what are the things that need to line up and the important things that need to happen well maybe i need to release more music maybe i need to get more focused around building an audience on one particular platform or maybe i need to focus on getting my audience off these social media platforms in a, in a format where i own the relationship like an email address like and building out maybe i'm not haven't capitalized on my fans' willingness to buy. I've been using Banzoogle and they have a commission-free store that does all sorts of amazing things. You can sell anything and it now has integration with Printful, so which does print-on-demand merch, so you don't have to pay anything until someone buys something. And it's like, there could be revenue opportunities sitting there for you. You just haven't focused in on some of those things. So I think a lot of it is like naming those things and artists don't typically do that. And so a lot of our efforts feel unfocused or random, haphazard. And at the end of the day, like, I felt like I was just going a hundred miles an hour in a hundred different directions, but didn't really accomplish much. And that's usually 
the reason is that we don't know what we're trying to accomplish. So why would you feel like you accomplished anything? That's, that's so good. Yeah. Kind of the seven habits of highly effective people, the one like start with the end in mind and just cl clarifying, coming up with tangible goals that you're actually aiming for. It's always a million different things that you could be doing. And there's like uh, infinite potential to feel overwhelmed. But if you do kind of clarify it to the top three to five things, top three to five goals you're looking to accomplish, it, it seems like there's been so many studies just on the power of goal setting and writing down your goals and how much more yeah. likely it is that you're going to be successful if you do that. So that's awesome. So, hey, Kevin, thanks so much for taking the time to be here yeah. today. This has been a great conversation. And hopefully everyone that's listening or watching this has gotten a ton of value. For anyone who's interested in connecting more and, and diving deeper, either with like CD Baby or with like DIY Musician, where do you recommend that people go to, to learn more? Uh, yeah, well, if they want to connect with me personally, I'm just at K Bruner, the letter K for Kevin, and Bruner, my last name, which is B-R-E-U-N-E-R. That's, that's my handle on like Twitter and Instagram. Instagram is the, the, the platform you'll typically find me on if you message me there. Happy to help any artist. If you're interested in distributing music, just head over to CD Baby at cdbaby.com. And we do the DIY Musician podcast, which is, you know, that's the name. It's wherever you listen to podcasts. It's in Spotify. It's in the Apple podcast directory. And yeah, hopefully I'll be back out on the road sometime soon with, with uh, CD Baby and get to see artists in person again. And if you want to check out my band, Small Town Poets, we've been making music for over 20 years and we have a new album coming out, hopefully in a month or two, as soon as we can get those darn mixes done. But so yeah, those are all the places you can find me. <laughs> cool. Fantastic. And where, where does, so you're talking about the CD Baby, you guys do like a conference in person usually, right? Mm -hmm. and, and where yeah. do you, does it kind of travel around or is it usually in like it one tra place? It's traveled around. It'll be in Austin in 2022. It was supposed to be there in 2020. It was supposed to be there in 2021, but it'll be there in 2022. We also have done one in a part with a partnership of Berkeley College of Music in Valencia, Spain. We've done one there. We've done it three times. What do you have times. against what do you have against Orlando, Florida, man? <laughs> you know what? We looked at Orlando. We did look at Orlando. Um and uh, you never know where we'll end up. We're, we're supposed to go to Atlanta next, but COVID messed everything up. So we have plans to go to Atlanta next, but we've been, we, we like moving it around, making it accessible, but maybe we'll do something with Full Sail and uh, partner with them and do something. I've, I've yeah. been down there and spoke at their campus before, so I might pop up down there again. All right. Well, you know, I, I live about 10 minutes away from Disney World. So if you're ever down in the area, oh, you know, I'm, I'll book the flight. I'm, I'm a big Disney fan. So <laughs> nice. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thank, thanks again. I appreciate yep. the conversation and then I'll talk to you again yep. soon. Yep. Take it easy. See ya. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guests today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That, that really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take the music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.